What? College matters. What? College, college matters. matters. Really? For sure. College matters. Alma, Alma matters. matters. So the next summer was really cool. I um uh I spent it in Ghana interning for an organization called Innovations for Poverty Action. And mm-hmm. they did randomized control trials of development interventions. So mm-hmm. I was working on a project that was looking at the efficacy of a financial literacy curriculum. Mm-hmm. And um, I was stationed in the capital of, of Ghana, in Accra. And firstly, like, I refer back to my time in Ghana a lot because it's just fairly different from other things I've done in my life. And as a result, you know, it, it comes up more more often. David Castleman is a graduate of Yale University with a bachelor's degree in economics and cognitive science. During high school, David grew up thinking that he loved biology and was passionate about global development and poverty. He was involved in a number of related clubs in school, played baseball, and was in the student government. He wasn't interested in med school, so when time came to think about college, Doing research in biology seemed like the way to go. David joins us on our podcast today to tell us how things turned out at Yale. Now, before we jump into the podcast, here are the high fives, five highlights from the podcast. You know, I I made some of my closest friends during my time at Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people I, I admire most to this day and, you know, seek to emulate were, were professors I had at mm-hmm. Yale. Um, uh, and, uh, it, it was also just a really fun, fun time of life and a good environment for Like when I visited Yale, mm-hmm. I remember visiting a class called the architecture of power. And mm-hmm. I thought that that would be a class kind of like political science focused, like what are the elements of power? But it was literally an architecture class, um, mm-hmm. which I did not expect. And, and yet I found it fascinating, despite mm-hmm. not having any background in architecture. And the students in the class were like really encouraging and they wanted to get my opinions. But, but the thing that stands out about the professors I admired most were these were professors who I had seminars with and mm-hmm. students would be would be talking to each other and, and they were just like such fantastic listeners like the way mm-hmm. that they would get you know the most out of what people were saying were was fantastic like a student would say something and you know at times maybe I'd be something like a little dismissive like oh that doesn't make sense and then the teacher would say you know draw an element from that comment and I would be like wow that is that's so fascinating and you, know, you, you kind of hear, like in high school, you learn biology and, and it's from a textbook and it, it all seems like a, this very like linear narrative and things are known and things are not known. And, you know, you kind of hear that like in practice, it's not that linear. People discover things, they publish papers, you know, those papers either replicate or fail to replicate. You know, we may not be generalizing correctly. We, we may have a theory that isn't quite right. But, you know, doing the lab work, I really did get that sense of like, you know, this is a messy process at the I think college admissions really want you to actually be passionate about something. And so they want that to be like an actual interest and actually mm-hmm. something that you're engaged with. And the second thing is, you know, unfortunately, the reality is I think you have to be 
quite good at it. Now, I'm sure you want to hear the entire podcast with David. So without further ado, over to David Castleman. David, welcome. Welcome to our podcast, College Matters, Alma Matters. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, been meaning to talk to you for a while, and here we are. Excited to uh, talk to you about your Yale experience. So um, if you're ready, we can jump right in. Sounds great. Okay. Fantastic. So, you know, I'd just like to maybe start maybe by reflecting. Um, it's been a few years since you graduated from Yale. Um, what, did, what was that experience like? What did you like and not like maybe at a high level? Yeah. Yeah. A, a few too many years uh, since <laughs> I just turned 30 this year. Um, well, overall, uh, I really enjoyed my, my time at Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, things I liked um, included, uh, you know, I, I made some of my closest friends during my time at Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people I, I admire most to this day and, you know, seek to emulate were, were professors I had at mm-hmm. Yale. Um, uh, and uh, it, it was also just a really fun, fun time of life and a good environment for, for being at that stage of life. There was this um, uh, this Yale student who unfortunately um, passed away in a car accident uh, shortly after graduation, but she wrote this collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Marina Keegan. And she, she had a piece about like, um, you know, just kind of this sense of uh, possibility and togetherness um, that, mm-hmm. that exists um, in undergraduate and, and that, that resonated strongly. It was, uh, it was a really fun, fun time. Um, what, what I didn't like, I don't think that there's anything I, I didn't like. There, there were certainly challenges and, and things yeah. I learned. Um, one, one challenge was, um, uh, yeah, it was just a lot more um, freedom than I had had up to that point. Freedom in terms of figuring out my schedule, um, figuring out my direction, um, time spent in conversation with other people. So it was, uh, you know, my, my high school experience actually prepared me quite well, I think, academically for Yale, but it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a big social transition. So I enjoyed it a lot, but, but you know, also was learning a lot and there were, there were some challenges there. So maybe we can go back a little bit more and sort of talk about why you picked Yale. I know you had some really great choices, I think, between Harvard and Stanford and others. And curious why you ended up picking Yale. Yeah, you know, um, it's a really good question. Um, uh, and, and one thing that's a bit hard is I think that sometimes we look back and kind of construct these narratives that make sense, but, but yeah. weren't actually, you know, maybe fully true at the time. So, so. <laughs> I'll try and give the truest answer I can as I remember it from time. And then also a little bit of, you know, looking back now, how it, how it sort of, sort of makes, makes sense. So, so at the time, I, I honestly think that I sort of chose Yale for reasons that don't make any sense right now. Like um, I was interested in, uh, I, I like really enjoyed biology in high school and, and thought that, that I might have some interest in and mm-hmm. kind of lab based research and, uh, Yale appealed to me because it had a strong biology department, but it also had a department 
um, with a lot of availability for undergrads to do research. You know, I think mm-hmm. at certain schools, if I remember correctly, it, it, you know, um, it, it was certainly there were strong lab science research departments, but grad students often filled a lot of those positions. And, and I just kind of was under the impression that my ability to do research in biology um, at Yale would would be really strong. And, and that was kind of a, a determining factor. Uh, I ended up, I did do research my first summer at Yale, but never did it again. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't that relevant to, to my experience. But but I will say that, you know, uh, it's sometimes, you know, decisions, it's kind of this culmination of like feelings, you know, you just decide, okay, Yale, and, and you think about, okay, what are the different reasons, but, it, but it's kind of a feeling. And, and there were a number of other things that, that contributed to that feeling, I think. Like when I visited Yale, I mm-hmm. remember visiting a class called the architecture of power. And mm-hmm. I thought that that would be a class kind of like political science focused, like what are the elements of power, but it was literally an architecture class, um, mm-hmm. which I did not expect. And, and yet I found it fascinating despite mm-hmm. not having any background in architecture and the students in the class were like really encouraging and they wanted to get my opinions and kind of all throughout campus you know, there was a lot of people who like welcomed me to campus and were really friendly. And, and I just got this, this really um, friendly sense. And, you know, I think students who probably attend place, these places you mentioned, like uh, Stanford, Yale, Harvard, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's probably a lot of similarities mm-hmm. between these students and our voice, but, but there probably is some differences in, in the environment. I just got the sense at Yale that the environment had been structured such that there was a little bit more kind of, you know, in it togetherness, friendliness, uh, sense of welcoming that, um, that I really appreciated. So, so that was another element, I think. Yeah. Let's sort of go back a little bit more and talk about your high school. Um, what kind of things interested you? What, what was your passion? What were you, what were things that really excited you? What were the things you were involved in? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned my interest in biology. Um, I right. also had kind of an interest in sort of like um, uh, issues of uh, development, like global development. Like I was in clubs that was involved in, in raising funds for various causes, like um, uh, building educational capacity in, in other schools or, or mm-hmm. microfinance and, and, and these sorts of things. Um, so, so I thought I, I had some interesting kind of uh, – uh, addressing gl- global poverty in, in, in various ways. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, did a lot of clubs in, in high school. In addition, I was on the baseball team. I was in student mm-hmm. council. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's some of, of what I remember of, of kind of what I was involved in, in, in high school. Yeah. Hmm. So any, any particular passion um, that you felt at that time? I mean, I know biology was something that you liked as a, as a t- subject. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think my strongest passion really was, you know, kind of these weeding up on, on issues of, of global poverty and, okay. and development. Um, you know, so I would, in addition to being involved in these clubs at Harker, I, I, I was actually reading a lot of like, academic papers out of interest and I joined this kind of community group based in Santa Clara so not just high school students but you know um, interested residents and I remember us talking about op-eds we could write and uh, kind of how to talk to local representatives to support legislation dealing with with international aid and 
yeah, I, I think that was that was that was sort of my my passion. You know, global poverty, the the inequity related to it. How does how does one engage engage with that? Yeah. Let's jump over to Yale. So you go from high school to Yale. What was that transition like? You you sort of started to mention something about the academic aspect, but give us a feel for what it was like. Um, that whole uh, transition. Yeah. Um, well, so I think I think there was um, a couple of things. So so one is um, uh, I remember. So so I'm a I like to use the word introvert. Like that that word resonates with me. I'm a bit of an introvert, and uh-huh. th- there was a lot of meeting new people. I think kind of in your first few months at, at college, like every meal is, is a conversation with a new person almost. Right. And, right. you know, that was fantastic, but it was also almost overwhelming. Uh, I remember many days needing a little time to like recover by like watching TV or something mindless from all of that, like, wow, uh-huh. meeting so, so many new people. So that's, that's what I, and, and not just meeting new people, but, you know, after you know, part of my, my introversion is after meeting new people, I would think back on the conversation and I would be, you know, like, oh, did, did, did I say the right thing? And some of this is good, you know, it's how you learn, yeah. I don't know, conversation skills, but some of it, of course, is, um, uh, <laughs> you know, in the scheme of things is not, is not that important and can be a bit, a bit tiring. Um, so, so that was a big transition, but um, also, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, I don't know if I started hanging out with um, all of my best friends at Yale right, right away or, or whether it took some time to kind of find them. I think I had started to meet some really good friends. And of course, you know, uh, having um, Kartik at Yale was, was a big help, uh, especially initially the fact that, that we were such good friends um, going to school t- together. That, that was, was helpful to, uh, to have a, a good friend um, in, in the midst of, of the initial transition. Um, so yeah, that's that's some of what I remember. I think I also something else that happened is, you know, there's these like activity fairs, and I think I signed up for like way too many like clubs <laughs> and activities. Uh, yeah, um, like in college, you know, I don't know. In high school, it's almost like activities are are almost like I don't know classes in a sense. You know, like right, you, right. in addition to doing them out of passion, you you feel compelled to to do them as as preparation for the future and in college i think it's really an opportunity to be more thoughtful and join clubs not because you should but because you know you really enjoy it and you want to deepen your involvement so in high school i think a lot of people at at harker were in you know three four or five clubs i don't think that's uncommon i think in college you know by the end people are mainly involved in in one two activities primarily um so i remember that that transition a little bit just just signing up for way too many clubs you mentioned time management a little early on. How, how did you sort of navigate that? How did you grapple with that and get it under control? Um, yeah, so 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 at Harker, I, I think I took, I, you know, it was something like seven courses in, in college. I think you tend to take more, like four or five. So so that's actually um, a big a big time savings, and and that frees you up in, in college to you know spend spend more time and be intentional about things like. Uh, volunteering and activities and, and meeting friends. Um, so that's, that's great. Kind of the big mistake I got was, or, or I made was in the first semester when advisors are really recommending you to not overwhelm yourself with classes because 
you know, you're going to want time to meet people and, and it could be a big transition. I found that mm-hmm. first semester, I just found myself with all sorts of time and I thought it was such an easy semester. So I went from, I think, four classes to maybe like five and a half. All of, all of them, the other art in college with picking classes is not just, of course, the number of courses, but kind of like the cadence of work and the quantity of work. And uh, I didn't, I didn't think about any of that. I just took five and a half classes, all of which had a lot of work all at the same time on a weekly basis. And I remember myself just absolutely drowning second semester. Uh-huh. And in fact, I think that there is this kind of, uh, <laughs> it was really rough. Uh, there was all sorts of incidents. Like I remember by the last weeks of the semester, just being like totally under, underwater. And I think that like, um, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of things that, that happened. I, I think some friends saw me at like, uh, uh, a, uh, like a snack area and I was like grabbing a box of cereal and they said <laughs> I was just like, looked like I was shaking and out of it, just like clutching this box of cereal. And I remember taking one break while I was studying to like get a little exercise and I was running this mile and I just ran it like way faster than I ever <laughs> had since before. Cause I had so much adrenaline and I even like, I was studying at my desk and I fell asleep at my desk before a final and woke up like 30 minutes after the final started and had to run to the final and it ended up being okay, but that was a close call. So I, I, I definitely kind of was, you know, rolled into a false sense of, um, this is really, you know, I have all sorts of time first first semester <laughs> and, and kind of overdid it, overcorrected second semester. So, so I remember that very distinctly, yeah. What did you think of your um, classmates, your peers, people you met, the friends you made? Um, just, just like really fantastic, interesting, nice, nice people. Um, uh, yeah. Um, you know, some, some of my, my best friends to this day are, are friends from, from college. Um, I, I, I think that there's kind of different models, you know, like in high school, I sort of had uh, a group of friends, like we would eat lunch together and we would hang out together and it was a strong group dynamic. And in college, there was like a couple of groups I spent time with, but I, I didn't have as much of this, like, you know, most of my social world is is in the context of of a specific group that all hangs mm-hmm. out together mm-hmm. it, you know it was more kind of in individual friends meeting in in different ways different activities mm-hmm. or even just like happenstance um mm-hmm. living arrangements um and and so that that was kind of one one thing about my social experience in college um uh and yeah you know one one thing i one thing i will say too about about um social life at at Yale is going back to that point about how, you know, I think probably in a lot of ways, people are fairly similar about colleges, but, you know, I mean, one thing I will say is that, is that my philosophy is that like, you know, kind of what you do with your college experience is, is probably far more important than, than where you go to college, yeah. probably yeah. to use my statistical terms, the uh, within group variance is a lot higher than the across group <laughs> variance. Um, but uh, to the extent that you're making decisions between colleges and, 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 and want to think about that and, and think about the across group variance. I, I kind of mentioned that, you know, people are similar, but environments matter a lot. And, and, and there may be some difference in environments between, between schools. And, and one way I think you see that reflected is sort of like the conversations you have 
if you join a random group at, at lunch um, mm-hmm. or, or in a room. And, you know, of course, we talked about all sorts of things. We talked about movies and we talked about sports. And, but, you know, um, kind of the things that stand out is, is I'm not quite sure. But if I had to speculate, you know, at Stanford, a place like Stanford, I think that there's probably a lot of talk of things like startup ideas and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. tech. And, um, at, you know, certainly at Yale, probably especially now, there's, there's more of that. But, but I found there was more random conversations around things like, like ethics and philosophy. And, and that was something that I really hadn't been exposed to as much in high school mm-hmm. at Harker and, and something I really enjoyed thinking about in in college. And, and I just remember all sorts of conversations around like, you know, ethics and, uh, you know, which, which, which things have more standing and which things don't have more standings and metaphysics and how do we know? And, um, you know, that wasn't all of our conversations. It's, it's not as formal as, as I make it seem by using these terms, but, but that, that was an aspect to my social experience that, that I think is, is somewhat, you know, unique to Yale or, or different schools will kind of have different you know, conversations that, that tend to crop up kind of seeded by past conversations. And um, yeah, that was something I, I, I really enjoyed about, about the experience at, at Yale a little bit, yeah. Very cool. So what, what did you think of the professors and how was the teaching and how did you enjoy the in-classroom experience? Yeah, mostly I would say the teaching is is fantastic. So so a mm-hmm. couple of points there. So so first of all is I think I mentioned that some of the people I, I most admire now and, and kind of seek to emulate were, were professors I had and and kind of the things that that really stands out about those professors are you know in a lot of ways I think being a college professor you know to to reduce it too much it's almost like you know lectures are it's almost like a form of entertainment almost, right? Like it, how engaging you are and yeah. uh, how vivid your examples are and, and how strong of a narrative you can weave together disparate facts. So, so there's a talent in, in kind of, you know, the speaking and, and presenting. And, and, and I think that, that professors at Yale often are, 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 are quite good at that. But, but the thing that stands out about the professors I admired most were, these, these were professors who I had seminars with and <laughs> students would be, would be talking to each other. And, and they were just like such fantastic listeners, like the way that mm-hmm. they would get, you know, the most out of what people were saying were, was fantastic. Like a student would say something and, you know, at times maybe I'd be something like a little dismissive, like, oh, that doesn't make sense. And then the teacher would say, you know, draw an element from that comment. And I'd be like, wow, that is, that's so fascinating. And that's true. That's something that was in the student's response that I had kind of missed because it wasn't quite in the, in the language maybe I expected. And, you know, as a result, the, these conversations were just, uh, I learned so much from them. And also like the students, it created this environment where the students, like all, we all became really good friends because um, we, we were just getting a lot out of the, each other's comments and, and benefiting from, from each other's questions and, and contributions. And, and so, yeah, that, that, you know, I had a, a couple of professors who I think were just, you know, m- maybe this is something that exists at, at, at all universities. I, you know, it, it probably does to an extent, but there were, you know, I had a, um, a philosophy professor and even an English professor, and I only took one English class at Yale, but they, mm-hmm. you know, they were such good listeners and, and, that, and that really stood out. So that's, that's, that's one thing I'd say. The other thing I'd say is that with math classes especially, mm-hmm. um, uh, I would say that sometimes I think the, 
the teaching left something to be desired. Um, mm-hmm. And and even like I think some of my math classes, frankly, were taught by grad students, not not professors. And you know, I think that's something of note um, mm-hmm. at a place like Yale. That that being said, I found that you know it was kind of hit or miss for math classes. Some of them yeah. I thought the pedagogy was actually quite effective because you know grad students are actually quite smart and um, you know it's not like you need to understand the uh, like breaking research in the field you just kind of need to understand you know the the concepts and and uh, in addition Yale offered a lot of resources around like you know extra time with other grad students and that's really helpful that's something that I got in undergrad that that I did not get in grad school this kind of you know widely available tutoring, extra help outside of class, which is really helpful for, for something like math, where you can kind of really struggle on your own with a textbook if there isn't someone you can go to and ask kind of individual questions to. So I would say some, some, some classes at Yale with math, like the widely available tutoring and, and a lot of the grad students are, are pretty smart, but, but definitely some, some minuses. You know, I, I think some of my classes were taught by grad students. I, I think um, it, was, it was a little... A little hit or miss there in in kind of the 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 math land. Um, what else about teachers? Um, I studied one of my majors was economics, and mm-hmm. and Yale had a particularly strong economics uh, department. So that was that was pretty cool. I mean, to just have people who are so seminal to the field and research is really interesting and fantastic teachers and engage with students and. And that that's really cool to go to a place where what you're studying, the department is, is like really strong. And, you know, the papers you read in another professor's class cites uh, other professors you have, not because they're friends or just because they're kind of, you know, yeah. se- seminal to the, to the field. Yeah. So let's, um, let's move on, jump out of the classrooms and talk a little bit about campus life. So we talk a little bit about the, the residential colleges and the general setting there. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I, I think that's a big part of kind of the social environment at, at Yale that I really like the, the residential mm-hmm. colleges um, mm-hmm. because, you know, like a common refrain is like my group of randomly assigned students is better than your group of randomly assigned <laughs> students. Um, you know, it's really cool to have this environment where you, you know, um, uh, live with a group of people primarily for four years. There's there's much less off-campus um, uh, people living off-campus at Yale than, than in other colleges. And so you, mm-hmm. you kind of have this chance to be put together with a smaller group where you can get to know kind of everyone better and and a diverse group of people. And, and you kind of, you know, you have these chance encounters, you run into each other multiple times. So, so just a really good group to, to get to know well. And a lot of my friends were, were in the residential college. And uh, residential colleges also lead to, I think, one of the better intramural sports systems out there. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you not only play that individual sports, but there's points and residential colleges compete against each other. And that was one of the most fun parts of college for me were the intramural sports. And mm-hmm. that dovetailed really well with, uh, with the residential colleges. So, yeah. Tell us about campus activities. I know there are zillions of clubs and organizations what kind of stuff did you do um yeah you know i did too much at first like i remember starting a like microfinance group and we streamed this like lecture that that someone gave um out of princeton and and we 
talked about ways to be involved in, in kind of issues of microfinance and led research about, you know, is it microfinance that's actually helpful or just micro savings accounts and, and consumption smoothing. And, and that was all nice, but that, that club kind of fizzled. And I think that was a little bit more of like, you know, um, you know, high school mentality of like, uh-huh. you know, a lot of clubs and I need a club related to my, my interest. I, I actually learned a lot more, you know, kind of in that space of, of, um, you know, like, uh, like global, global poverty from actually just like academic classes and internships. And, and I didn't necessarily need, need a club in that space. So, so the, the clubs I ended up staying most involved in, I think, you know, one was definitely spoken word poetry. Um, that was something that I had like started a little bit at the end of high school, like a creative outlet. And I didn't know how to play an instrument or, you know, but I knew, <laughs> I knew how to like, you know, speak. So I thought I could do spoken word poetry. And, and to be honest, I, I actually was never any good at spoken word poetry. I really don't think my entire four years, um, uh-huh. but uh, it was a really nice group and we would edit each other's poems and have interesting conversations and, um, uh, yeah, so that, that was nice. It, it was honestly almost social because not only do I not think that I was very good at spoken word poetry, but, you know, certainly there were individual poems I remember that were good, but even just like as a, as like an art form, I, I don't know if I, I really, um, appreciated spoken word poetry the most. So, so I think that was mostly just about, you know, I really liked the group of people I met and we had interesting conversations and, and the mm-hmm. spoken word was, was almost secondary. It, it also though was helpful in that kind of towards the end of my time in college with spoken word, I started like hosting a lot of our shows and mm-hmm. I found that I was like much better at like hosting than like doing the poems. I think it kind of, you know, I started doing uh, stand up comedy mics by the end of college. And, and I did that a little bit after college and, and to this day. And, and um, you know, I, I kind of in some ways, you know, found some of that, that, you know, desire to have like an open mic and, and that thing from, from my involvement in spoken word. So that's, that's one activity I, I remember. Uh, and then intramural sports was a lot of fun. Uh, I guess one story from that, as I remember, there was this game at Yale called Wazzle Dazzle Football. It's like a variant on touch football. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember telling some friends, like, I think I'm really good at this game. Like of everyone at Yale, I think I'm one of the best players. And I remember my friends just being like, like, w- like one, like, is that true? And two, like, could that possibly matter? Like, where else do you play as a football? But, but I really liked it, and I thought I was really good. And, yeah, I, I have one. There's one write-up about me in, like, the Yale student newspaper from that time about my, my success in Razzle-Dazzle, and I thought that was the coolest thing. I, I yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's um, move over to the different summers. Um, tell us um, what kinds of things you do during the various summers. Yeah, so that, that first summer, I, I did do that research in a lab. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that there was something valuable in that. You know, you, you kind of hear, like in high school, you learn biology and, and it's from a textbook. And it, it all seems like a, this very like linear narrative and things are known and things are not known. And, you know, you kind of hear that like, in practice, it's not that linear. People discover things. They publish papers. You know, those papers either replicate or fail to replicate. You know, we may not be generalizing correctly. We we may have a theory that isn't quite right. But, you know, doing the lab work, I really did get that sense of like, you know, 
this is a messy process at the, at the cutting <laughs> edge. Like with enough replication, you know, science does produce things that look a lot like truths for the most part. But, you know, when you're working at the cutting edges, there's so much that's not known. And there's so much that you think you know that isn't true and so much that you know you don't know. And it's a really messy, messy process. And, and you know, of course, I don't have the, you know, um, uh, deepest understanding of that. But, you know, kind of this, this lesson that I had been told, you know, I was really able to kind of under, understand from, from that one summer. So that was great. That, that being said, you know, I remember doing some Western blots or things, but, but mostly I think I spent that time like reading New York Times articles. Like there really just wasn't that much for me to do mm-hmm. in the lab. And uh, I would say it wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, I could tell that I wasn't actually, I didn't love lab work. And um, uh, yeah, that summer was, um, it was more about having fun living in New Haven uh, than, than actually anything that, that useful, I think, in the end. Or, or discovering that lab work isn't for me, I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. What about the next, uh, next couple of summers? So the next summer was really cool. I, um, uh, I spent it in Ghana interning for an organization called Innovations for Poverty Action, and mm-hmm. they did randomized control trials of development interventions. So mm-hmm. I was working on a project that was looking at the efficacy of a financial literacy curriculum. Mm-hmm. And um, I was stationed in the capital of, of Ghana, in Accra. And firstly, like I refer back to my time in Ghana a lot because it's just fairly different from other things I've done in my life. And as a result, you know, it, it comes up more, more often because it's more different. And uh, I, I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, I had a really good time, you know, um, uh, I made, you know, there's all sorts of things I, I learned. I think kind of one lesson I had was, you know, for better or worse, I, I think that that summer in certain ways was less stressful because there was just so much I didn't know that mm-hmm. I was like constantly, you know, making a, a fool of, of myself. Uh, but as a result, I like expected myself to, I expected to like make make a fool of myself. And in certain ways, there was a certain level of relaxation of like just expecting to, to make all sorts of, of mistakes. Um, uh, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. if you, if you want to, you know, always make tons of mistakes, but there was a certain interesting, like, you know, expecting or, you know, letting go and, and relaxation that, that, um, I mean, maybe two more stories from, from that. The first is that one, one thing that happened was a bit unfortunate is that the organization, there was a full-time staff member who, who, who broke her leg and had mm-hmm. to recuperate at home. And so when I got to the site, um, essentially uh, I was you know, filling in for a lot of the work that this full-time staff member couldn't do. And I was filling in on a compressed uh, time schedule because I had like two months and they right. had like been home already for you know, some months. So I just remember like working 16 hours for the most part in an office, like in Excel, mm-hmm. which was not what I expected uh-huh. um, when I got to, to Ghana. Uh, <laughs> okay. So the staff member was, was um, fairly young herself, probably a, a, a few years out of college. And I remember telling her this, like I'm working, you know, 16 hours in the office and expecting her to be like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. But she was like, yeah, you know, happens. Uh, <laughs> So I, I don't know. The other staff members were all like very impressed by me, maybe slightly concerned, but also very appreciative because, you know, the work was getting done. So that was that was that was one thing. And, and I still did uh, have time to, you know, visit different parts of the countries on weekend and and learned a lot and and uh, enjoyed it. Um, maybe uh, 
maybe the last story I'll tell is that uh, I did end up um, contracting malaria while I was in Ghana. Um, And, but it wasn't, I didn't have full blown symptoms because I was taking anti-malarials, which, which were suppressing some of the symptoms, but you know, they kind of always tell you to have uh, a plan of like where you go for medical attention if something goes wrong. But being very young and naive, I, I didn't exactly do that, which meant that like, when I was just like so wiped out from malaria and at my lowest, I had to try and figure out what to do. And I was talking to the staff member and she was naming all these clinics and I was hazy and I was like, Oh, and eventually she named this clinic, Beijing clinic. And I was like, I know that clinic it's right by my house. So I'll, I'll, I'll just go to that one. So I, I went there and they actually told me that they were like closed at 3 PM. So I went home and essentially passed out and the next morning went back and, and then they, they drew my blood, which is good because it's, it's one way you can, you can test for, for malaria. Um, and, you know, uh, a little while later, they said, like, you know, okay, you're fine. And uh, I was like, you mean I tested negative? And they wouldn't say that. They just kept insisting, you know, okay, you're fine, which, which maybe was just a, a language thing. But I started looking around and I noticed that on the wall, there were these, like, certificates. And the certificate said, like, certified alternative health provider from the government of China, which, uh, you know, wasn't maybe the credential I necessarily expected. And, and then they told me that if I was feeling sick, they could prescribe me herbal teas. And, and I decided to pass on that. And, and then the next day I went to the clinic that was right next to the American embassy. And they were like, oh, yeah, you, you have malaria. Here, here's additional medication that will solve the problem. And, and I thought that was sort of the end of the story. But, but then I was telling my coworkers about this. And they were laughing really hard because apparently... Beijing Clinic is where they all uh, go because for work authorization in Ghana, you like need like a health clearance and just uh-huh. Beijing Clinic is known for like not really doing anything. And so they were laughing <laughs> very hard. So uh, I did learn that having a plan of where you go for medical attention, good, good idea. Don't, don't wait until you're, you're feeling sick. Um, but yeah, really, uh, I really, really enjoyed that experience. Learned a lot. You know, it was around that time that I was starting to realize that you know, like international development work is, is really tricky. It's really tricky to be responsive to the people you're serving. It's really tricky to, um, uh, you know, understand these problems and all of their intricacies, you know, to do the work well, you might want to live internationally. And, and I wasn't sure that, you know, I, I wanted to do that and, and be so far away from family. So, so in college, I kind of, you know, took some of the themes around, you know, poverty and equity and justice and started thinking more about, about domestic issues. Um, but I, I, I'm just so glad that I had that summer in, in Ghana. Um, I learned a lot, um, took, took classes also on, on international development at Yale that I learned a tremendous amount from that were taught by great professors. And, and yeah, so that was, that was a great summer. Um, my last summer in college between sophomore and junior year, um, I interned for the, uh, no, I interned for the overseas private investment corporation, which is, um, it no longer exists. It's now been merged with um, the import-export uh, uh-huh. function in, in the U.S., I think. But at the time, it was this, uh, it was essentially this, I think it was a, a government agency, and it would basically facilitate, uh, like, projects that were in mm-hmm. accordance with State Department priorities by using the U.S. government guarantee. So I remember there was projects like building a hydroelectric dam in a country and you know, OPEC would use the U.S. government guarantee and that would allow this project to be financed at lower interest rates and it would coordinate with State Department for, for like priorities and, and also focus on international development. And I remember them 
you know, being very proud of the fact that they're one of the few government agencies that like makes money because they charged <laughs> some fee for using the U.S. government guarantee. But also, I just think that's like a really good business model, just like licensing the U.S. government guarantee. So, so that that was a summer where I was like, all right, I've been studying econ. I think I might want to do government. Let me just look for for econ and government. And you know, I, I like this experience, but you know. Um, what I was doing specifically were like a lot of literature reviews and, and lighting things up. And, you know, the work itself wasn't quite what I wanted to do. So that was a good learning around. All right. Even if the general domain is, you know, about like, you know, you, you want to focus on more like job specific features. So, so yeah, those, those, those are some thoughts on my summers. Yeah. The fact that you majored in economics and cognitive science, I believe, and, um, where did that love for biology kind of disappear? Was it the first summer or um, wh- wh- what happened to that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so with biology, it was one of those things where I really was academically interested in biology um, in high school. But, you know, a lot of people who, who major in biology in college, they, they are essentially what's what's called pre-med or they're fulfilling right. a set of requirements that will get them in into medical school and i'm a little squeamish i didn't really want to be a doctor so so i thought that <laughs> maybe you know i do some sort of research pathway but I, I i didn't entirely know what that entailed and and to be honest you know biology was was sort of this academic interest but it, it didn't necessarily map closely to, to a career interest and and also i, I had some suspicion by the end of high school, that the questions I was really interested in, questions like, you know, global poverty mapped more to like economics. So I, I didn't take any economics classes in high school, but I kind of knew I wanted to start taking economics. I, I had some suspicion I, I'd be interested in that. And, you know, I guess one framework that 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 I use in, in life that's helpful is that a lot of disciplines are defined by the questions you ask and the tools you use to solve them. Mm-hmm. And, um uh, you know, I, I think college is, is a really good time to try and make progress along, you know, one or both of those dimensions. So, so to find that the questions you're really passionate about, the questions you really want to ask, I think that's fantastic because there are these courses that there's just so much knowledge that's contained in them. And, and you can really get, get you know, fairly far in, in reviewing literature and, and better understanding questions. And, you know, if you can find that, that thing that you really want to focus on, the questions you want to ask, I, I think that's fantastic. Or, you know, conversely... If, if you don't know exactly maybe the questions you want to ask, but, but you kind of know the tools you want to use to solve them, you know, whether you want to use statistics or computer science or journalism or, you know, have a set of tools that allow you to, to work on different questions, you know, I think that's also a fantastic, you know, use of college. So, so with economics, I, I think I was kind of drawn more by, you know, the questions you want to ask, you know, the questions I had in my mind around, around global, global poverty, I think those kind of dovetail to, to questions of, of economics. And then... Cognitive science, um, you know, <laughs> I, I promise this isn't uh, like a just so story. It's really true that, you know, that's mostly thanks to Kartik because um, uh, I think it was second semester, either first or second semester, he was interested in taking this intro to CogSci class. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't think I was going to take it, but I had some extra time. He's like, you should check this out. And I was like, sure. And then I took it and I just loved it. I was hooked. Uh, so mm-hmm. it was really it was really uh, an academic interest. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the classes were, were fantastic thinking about, you know, what motivates humans to behave and, and how does, you know, consciousness and perception work and, 
And I, I just, um, I really enjoyed it. And, and there is this intersection between economics and cognitive science that's kind of like behavior economics. But, mm-hmm. you know, largely that wasn't actually why I was studying it for that intersection. I just, um, I, I kind of really liked both, both subjects and, and the questions they were asking. And, and they seemed kind of, you know, urgent at the time. Like, you know, how do we coordinate people uh, is one big question with, with economics. How do people respond to incentives? What models can be used to, to describe uh, negotiations and, and with, you know, cognitive science, you know, like, um, yeah, how, how does, how does consciousness work and, and what are some, you know, ways that, that humans tend to behave in different environments and yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. So you did a senior thesis as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I ended up, um, so for cognitive science, a thesis is required for economics. Yeah. It is optional. Um, yeah. I ended up doing a thesis for both. I had pretty different experiences. So I would say that, um, with economics, um, uh, it was such a valuable experience. And also, uh, I remember it being kind of a dreadful process if I'm being mm-hmm. honest, like I remember being on campus for spring break senior year and it was still like snowing in New Haven and I was there because I needed to work on my senior thesis and mm-hmm. I was just so sad. But I, I think one of the reasons why the senior thesis was so hard is because I had mostly focused on questions like in economics, I was focused on like, okay, what are the questions you ask? You know, I, I hadn't like fully synthesized what are the tools you use to answer these questions. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think I was asking these really big questions and I didn't think about, okay, but what data sets do I really have? you know, what tools like SPS, uh, SPSS at the time I think I used, you know, now uh-huh. I use more like R and Python, but at the time different, like what, so, so kind of merging the questions I ask with the tools I have to use to solve them, like that synthesis kind of came together at the thesis. And I was kind of ambitious and adrift during the process and, and not kind of, you know, thinking as much about what tools I have to, to answer these questions I, I, I want to ask. Because, you know, when you're given problem sets, it all seems, I don't know, you didn't need as much synthesis on that somehow, but, um, but yeah, I learned a lot from that process. Um, uh, you know, uh, this is, this is a little bit disparate, so feel free to cut it. But, but one of the big differences I think between like school and work is, you know, in an academic setting, and this comes up a lot, whether kind of data is scarce or, or whether it's plentiful. So in an academic setting, I think mm-hmm. oftentimes data is fairly scarce. And so projects, you know, sometimes really will start with like what data is available, like what, interesting data sets are out there. And then I'll think about, you know, what questions can I apply to this data? And, and that would have been a helpful, you know, mindset for my, my thesis. But I would say that in a business context, actually there tends to be quite a bit of data and either the data does exist or it's not hard to collect it. And so it's much more this process of like, what is the question you largely want to know? And in mm-hmm. much less, you know, it starts with questions and then the, the data follows. Whereas I think in academia, sometimes, you know, you have to be a little more conscientious of, you know, what data exists and, and, and the question follows. Um, so I guess I was, uh, hadn't done that synthesis. And in some sense, I was already using kind of the like business mindset when, when the academic mindset would have, would have been helpful. So that was my economic thesis. I will say that like I wrote a thesis, I ended up having to gather my own data through experiments to answer the question I wanted. But, um, you know, I wrote a thesis on the sharing economy and the non-monetary utility people get from sharing. And, mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed that thesis. Uh, I ended up going to grad school. I asked my thesis advisor who had been a professor to write me a letter of reference and, 
you know, he focused on the thesis and he, he said it was kind of, you know, a forward looking thesis. And, and, and so that, that was, that was really good. I, th- I think it did help with, sure. with, sure. with Glad's goal. Uh, my Cogsai thesis, because my econ thesis took up so much time, I think I wrote my Cogsai thesis in like a week. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like, like the econ thesis was like a thing of its own, like a distinct experience. The Cogsai thesis was kind of just like a really long essay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked about uh, this uh, philosopher, John Rawls, and, you know, he had these certain, uh, he had this certain approach to thinking about justice in society. And, and, and some of this approach kind of made statements about human nature. And so I thought, you know, how can, like, you know, psychology and empiricism inform his approach, given that he's making assumptions about human nature, uh, assumptions that, that maybe we, we may be able to, to study. So, so I kind of wrote an essay and did okay on that thesis. I think they were like, some interesting ideas. Seems like this was written in a week. You did okay. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> As you reflect on undergrad and your Yale experience, how do you think that experience has shaped your post-college life? What kind of impact has it had? Um, yeah. That, that is a good question. I mean, certainly, I, I think often about these professors who I really admire and the way they listen and how I want to emulate that. Um, I didn't think, start thinking about that maybe right after college. I think it took me a, a few years to think about like, you know, how, how important that, that model was. So, so that's something I, I think about quite often. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, of, my, of my closest friends, uh, you know, uh, probably, you know, three quarters of them uh, went, went to, to Yale. So that's, that's quite, quite important. Um, uh, and yeah, you know, I, um, you know, along that dimension of like, you know, figuring out the questions you want to ask or the tools you want to solve them. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, one thing that I struggled with is I I sort of focused on the questions I want to ask, but it was at a pretty high level. Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was kind of, you know, driven by this urgent desire to, to think more in some ways about like global poverty, which is uh, a really complicated field and, and a field that, you know, I haven't really focused on professionally. And, and, and so I think, you know, I only made, you know, at the time I was looking at questions that felt urgent and I really appreciate working through those questions. But, um, you know, uh, given that, that those aren't questions that I thought I would kind of necessarily dedicate my career to and they were kind of at a high level you know i only made some progress around figuring really figuring that out the, the questions i want to ask and and in terms of um the tools i'd use to solve them you know so so i guess i would grade like the questions you want to ask as as a bit of an incomplete i, I kind of like what i what i did but it was at a bit of a high level and you know ultimately decided those those aren't fully the questions i want to ask and in terms of the tools used to solve them you know uh like econometrics Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up going to grad school for, for statistics and, you know, sort of by the end of my senior year, I, I discovered that this econometrics, which is the, uh, mm-hmm. kind of the statistical aspects of economics is something I was really interested in and suspecting I might be interested in statistics. And so, and so that was, that was really good. And it gave me a basis and, 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 you know, uh, I think drove future, future interests in grad school and, and clear, but, but also a bit of an incomplete because, I kind of figured that out later in college. I, I didn't take, you know, all of the statistics courses. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, um, 
I, I, I did get something from, from econometrics and, and, you know, professors were a big part of that kind of, you know, talking deeply through these econometrics approaches and understanding what they meant and, and how to apply them and, and having seminars. I, I, uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, and then, you know, ultimately glory. Cause you know, I've never, I'm not sure I've ever recaptured the glory of uh, intramurals since. So I'm just <laughs> glad that I had that, that shining moment, time in the sun. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Okay. You know, I always like to ask people if they could go back and relive those four years, um, what would you do differently? What are the things that, looking back, you wish you hadn't done or wish you had done or had done more of? Yeah, this is, this is a good and really hard question. I, I mean, one thing definitely is around, you know, the overloading on classes second semester freshman year. And how yeah. that was really painful. Um, you know, a broader point, um, I, I think it's, it's really hard because, you know, uh, it's almost like, you know, how do you assess history and how long do you need? Um, yeah. Being 10 years out of college is, 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 is definitely, or almost 10 years, is definitely some amount of time. Um, but, you know, my, my answer has changed in the last five years, and, and I don't know how it'll continue to change. One thing that makes this difficult is that... Um, you know, I think in college you enter at this time and you feel like you could do almost anything. And after right. college ends, you can still do so much, but maybe it doesn't feel quite like you can, you can do anything. And figuring out, you know, how to balance that, like how do I keep, you know, windows open while still allowing myself to kind of go into depth into things that I think might be my interest is, is, is kind of a hard balancing problem. And one thing that's hard to figure out is, you know, like one lesson I would say is that, you know, for your first job out of college, I think that you're going to have a lot more options about where to work if you pick up certain technical skills, especially like programming, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that's advice that's a little bit, you know, that definitely helps for that first job. Like, you know, I think if you think about building capacity, the reason so many people go into um, like consulting and banking and these sorts of things is, is, is I think it does build you know, there's all sorts of, of reasons, but, but to the extent it's for building skills, there, there's some truth in that there's only so many places that want to invest in entry-level employees and, and build those skills and, and have the infrastructure to, to help them be productive. Uh, but there's a lot more options when you have programming. Like, you can really be more choosy about where exactly I want to work with those skills. But, you know, it, it's a little bit temporary because you can definitely learn those skills after college. Um, you can learn them in grad school. Uh, you know, like if you didn't study pre-med in, in college, but then you want to be a doctor, I have plenty of friends who, who kind of, you know, after college did these programs that would prepare them for out of school. school. So, so it's, a little bit, it's a little bit hard because um, uh, I'm kind of rambling here, but basically it's a little bit hard because of all sorts of things that would be very helpful to do in college, but it's not like college is your last opportunity to, to do them. Um, and, and so one thing I would say, I think, is, is maybe I should have focused a little bit less on keeping all doors open and a little bit more on just doing what I think was interesting because there still is a lot of options to go back and, and open doors back, back up. And, you know, I do think that, you know, if you want to have more, you know, choices right out of college, then, then getting programming skills is, is really helpful. But, you know, if you don't like those tools, um, you know, certainly not the end of the world, or, you know, if you don't pick those up in college, there's certainly opportunities to do that after college as, as well. Um, in grad school, one thing I noticed 
kind of my joke response to the only thing I regret in college. You know, people are like, I regret not spending more time with people or relationships formed. Or my joke is kind of the only thing I really regret from college is time not spent with math textbooks, which is <laughs> in jest. But it kind of speaks to if you're going to go to grad school in a technical field, math is kind of the basis of all of it. It doesn't matter if it's computer science or statistics or economics, like really math is at the heart of it. And, and you can definitely take math classes after college and you can take them in grad school. But um, it, I would say that, you know, if you're interested in studying a technical field, you know, math is very helpful and college is a great place to study it. And, and you know, maybe looking back, I would have taken a few more math classes um, be, because of that because of that experience. So, so that's kind of a lambling response where I think the main point is, uh, you know, like college, uh, you, you enter college feeling like you can do anything, you leave college, and maybe that's not quite true, but you can still do quite a bit and you should realize that. And there's all sorts of opportunities to, to fill in things that are missing in college, but you will have more choices right out of college if you pick up these tools, technical tools to answer questions and um, you know, if you think you might want to go to grad school, um, you know, again, if you like, you know, for like a PhD, research is really important. And if you can do that in undergrad, you can save a lot of time and, and money. Um, but if you don't do that in undergrad, there's still these like fellowships. And, and I think there's ways to, to pick that up. Uh, but, but the thing that's really helpful for, for technical grad school, in, in my experience, is, is math classes and having a really solid foundation in math. Um, and, and yeah, lastly, you know, I, I think that, you know, discipline is defined by the questions you ask, the tools you use to solve them. You know, if you can find the questions you want to ask, because there's these survey courses that are taught by really experienced, smart people, you know, I, I think that's fantastic. I think that's a fantastic use of, of college. Um, and, and I only made so much progress around both the questions asked and the tools to solve. What would you tell all those aspiring students who are getting ready for college or about to apply? What, uh, what kind of things should they be thinking about? Yeah, one insight that I think I sort of picked up on um, from my college admissions process is that, you know, extracurriculars do matter, but mm -hmm. they only matter if, if two attributes exist. The first is that, you know, I think college admissions really want you to actually be passionate about something. And so they want that to be like an actual interest and actually mm -hmm. something that you're engaged with. And the second thing is, you know, unfortunately the reality is I think you have to be quite good at it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, good enough that, you know, that passion is going to continue to be put to utility in college, which is why, yeah, you know, some, something like sports. So I, I really appreciate that I did baseball in high school, but that couldn't be kind of my, my extra career to hang my hat on because even though I ended up playing club baseball in college, you know, I didn't play varsity. I wasn't, I wasn't that, that good at it. So, so I think you kind of need both. You need these activities, you know, whether it's, you know, leadership positions or um, uh, different sorts of academic clubs, but you need these, these activities and, and they have to be things that you're actually interested in. Not, not, not like you think yeah. they look good. You know, I, I think, college admissions are pretty good at sussing out, like, is this an actual interest, someone with, with actual passions? And, and then you need to be good enough that, you know, you can continue to kind of contribute to it in, at, at the college level. So, so that's the one insight I kind of remember from, from my time applying to colleges. I, I, I was very fortunate. I, I got into, I, I was lucky enough to, 
to actually get into every college I applied. And I think that was a lot of like luck and happenstance. Like Harker provided amazing opportunities. I, I had this experience with the J8 where like um, I was chosen for a conference and, and got to uh, like light up these like pseudo policy suggestions based on the voice of the youth to present to world leaders. I think that was probably a, a pretty like, you know, compelling um like mm-hmm. bit of bit of luck um uh you know i i harker was a really good environment for me so i was able to do, to do really well in classes and demonstrate that i did well um so so yeah i i you know um i i i think uh yeah yeah but 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 also you can only go to one college so you know, it's yeah. not so important to, to get into every college. It's important to get into, you know, a college that you're going to thrive in and enjoy. And, and I guess the only advice there I have is, you know, when you think about stuff besides grades and, and test scores, which are obviously important for admissions, you know, I think activities are, are important. And, and I think, you know, it's not so much being in five or six clubs and being president. It's like, is this something you're passionate about? And is this something that you can continue to do at a high level in, in college? And, and I think letters of reference probably help quite a bit, too. And, you know, Harker had fantastic teachers who, who wrote really good, good letters. And, and so being thoughtful about, you know, how, how do I find teachers who, who are really going to advocate for me is, is probably quite, quite important. So um, we're sort of getting uh, to the end of our podcast here. Um, before we sign off, um, wanted you to share any memories or traditions or anything else that you think would be uh, interesting to um, to the audience here. Um, one of my favorite memories from Yale was um, going to Yale was the first time I had really lived in snow. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a few kind of really special memories related to that. But one of them is Yale students would often, after uh, enough snow that had turned into ice, would grab <laughs> trays from the dining hall and find good places to go dining hall, uh, tray sweating. And that was just the time of my life. And uh, I really enjoyed doing that with friends and, you know, being, being kind of scrappy and young. And um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I really liked that. Very good. So David, I want to thank you for taking the time and uh, being so vivid and detailed with your stories and your experience. Uh, at Yale. I'm sure we'll talk some more in the future, but for right now, take care, be safe. Thank you again. Awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi again. Hope you enjoyed our podcast with David Castleman about Yale University. David's story is one of a lot of exploration. I especially like his framework for different disciplines as being defined by the questions you ask and the tools you use to solve them. He tried research in biology during a summer and decided research was not for him. He discovered economics with campus clubs during the summers in Ghana and at the State Department. Academic interest led him to cognitive science. I hope David's experience motivates you to check out Yale University. For your questions or comments on this podcast, please email podcast at almamatters.io. Thank you all so much 
for listening to our podcast today. Transcripts for this podcast and previous podcasts are on almamatters.io forward slash podcasts. To stay connected with us, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or visit anchor.fm forward slash almamatters to check us out. Till we meet again, take care and be safe. Thank you. College matters. Alma Alma matters. matters.